If you feel like, you know, you're constantly engaging in this us versus them mentality, then simply by changing the prism of how you're viewing the relationship with your team members and your customer um, will create opportunities for you to see. Welcome to Action This, practical wisdom from experienced management pros, a podcast series featuring a stacked roster of industry guests dishing about what it really takes for brands to thrive. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action This podcast. I am your host, Zach Hamilton. I'm the Chief Experience and Strategy Officer here at Chatter by Stingray. And I am so looking forward to uh, today's chat um, with Steve Kincannon. Before I tell you a little bit about Steve, uh, Steve and I go way back. Um, We have been in the trenches together. And when I think about the evolution of customer experience, uh, Steve is someone who I've had on my list for a while to have a chat with um, because he's involved with what customer experience means to him and how to scale teams with being customer led. Uh, also, I, you know, not only have Steve and I been in the trenches together, but uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, report to Steve at one time. And I'll never forget one of the things that he told me uh, in my own leadership journey was hey, look, everyone thinks you're a great executor but you need to really lean in on the emotional intelligence piece. And at first I took that just a little bit too personal until I really started to learn what emotional intelligence was. And, uh, you know, I have Steve to thank to having the courage to give me that feedback. So a little bit more about Steve before we welcome him in. He is a senior executive with over 20 years of experience in sales and operations management. He has learned that loving people is the foundation for leadership success. Love helps you win even in the most unwinnable situations. I love that. Uh, Steve's had the opportunity to open, operate, and accelerate the ROI growth of over 200 retail locations across 20 different states. Throughout his career, he's led a variety of cross-functional teams through integration, drive, and sustainment of sales, operations, HR, support, and finance initiatives, influencing top-line revenue growth, customer experience, and team member engagement. Steve has well over 15 years at Aaron's Sales and Lease, working in multiple capacities, including VP of Sales and Customer Engagement, VP of Operations, and Director of Operations, which is where Steve and I were in the trenches together. And now Steve has actually switched um, out of the retail industry, and he is the COO of CDF Doors, Frames, and Hardware, as well as COO of Fash Fast Specialties. Steve is based in the greater Nashville, Tennessee area with his wife and four kids. Steve, welcome to the Action This Podcast. Zach, what's up? It's great to be able to talk to you again, man. I love it when we get a chance to spend time together. Dude, it's always, uh, it is always fun. Our chats always go deep. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to um, to this conversation. Like I mentioned in my opener, you know, you've played a pretty special role um, with me in my career journey. Um, you know, I think I want to touch on that for a second, right? And I mentioned, you know, your courage to give feedback to what many would consider a top performer um, when you think about operational execution. But no one had ever really given me the feedback around emotional intelligence and and the pivotal role plays in leadership. And so I'd love one, like, thank you so much for having the courage to give me that feedback. But like, 
I'm curious in your mind, when you think about leading people, why do you think you were the first person that had the courage to give me that when you weren't the first person I reported to? So the way I see it is if you really love people, you're going to do everything you can as a leader to find ways to bring value to them. So you are currently and always were a, a top performer. It would have been really easy for me just to kind of allow you to perform. The company enjoys the performance. It makes me as a leader look great. Um, but but having a, a top performer on your team, it creates a challenge. It means as a leader, you have to dig in and figure out what can I do differently to bring value to an individual. So I think maybe I just changed the perspective of, of how I viewed uh, you as a partner. Um, and I I didn't just worry about the performance because I knew that was going to be outstanding, but I was, but I was looking at, Hey, what could I do to really just partner with Zach and what could I do to help him? Not meaning that I have all the answers, but it challenged me to read more and be a better leader, um, by having, you know, top performing people like you working for me. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's, it's one of those, look, we're already kicking off and going deep with like an incredible leadership lesson, but I think it's so important in today's world, especially with, the macroeconomic pressures that are happening globally, right? And you think about the global food crisis, you think about um, inflation that we don't want to call inflation. We think about, um, you know, so many people have their livelihoods just absolutely impacted. And one of the best things that you could do, to your point, is just love people. And part of that loving process is to give the feedback when it's not always the easiest feedback to give. So like, dude, you're already coming in with like an incredible leadership lesson. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And um, you never know where people are at in, in their their life cycle journey, their career journey, you know, what they have going on at home. So anytime you really have an opportunity to just pause and and reflect on what can I do to help this individual, regardless of what it may look like. And it, it may not be work related, right? But if you can open up that conversation based in trust, transparency, love, then you're gonna you're gonna get cues, you're gonna have the right conversations that's gonna help you build value in that relationship. And ultimately you'll be a better leader and the individual you're working with, they're gonna be a better performer and a better person. Yeah. I, um, that's so true. I want to, now let's, now let's kind of pivot back. I would love just to hear you kind of talk about, um, your own career journey, right? You rose through the ranks at Aaron's over 15 years. And I always love the story that you talk about around, you were actually a, a customer of Aaron's at one time, which is why you had so much passion for the brand. Um, so first let's just talk about kind of your rise to the ranks of retail, um, how did you rise through the ranks of retail? And then then let's talk about your shift from B to C to B to B now with CDF. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we've, we've got probably for another podcast, but we've all got stories of where bad decisions put us in tough predicaments, tough situations, right? So I found myself in that type of a situation and I came to Aaron's uh, after being recently homeless and um, just really at a, a, in a place in life where I needed some help. And, um, and Aaron's afforded me an opportunity to get something that I really wanted, I really needed. And um, they gave me at that time uh, an incredible customer experience. And I said to myself, 
this is a company that I want to work for. And it, it probably wasn't a year later. I started working at Aaron's. I took a pay cut just to, you know, join the organization. I started out just kind of as an hourly team member, working uh, as a salesperson on the showroom floor, learning the business. And it's a very traditional kind of I did well at every position. I, I, I did whatever I was asked to do, and um, I learned and I and I grew and I had several opportunities to take on new roles. Um, you know, take on a, a new division that Aaron's had started called Home Smart, and you know that's another life lesson there. Um, I've told people that they ask me how do you get promoted, and I tell them you have to be willing to take a risk. And um, you know, when Aaron's opened this new Home Smart division, uh, there really wasn't anybody that was super interested in that level of risk. And I stuck my neck out there and that's how I became a multi-unit leader was I took a risk on something that we didn't know if it'd work or it wouldn't work, but um, you know, I wanted to try. So it's that's really just kind of how it evolves, Zach, is, is from position to position, staying people-centric and uh, building success um, in, in every role that I could and staying focused on the things that mattered most. And that was, are my people having fun? Do they love what they do? And are they successful? Yeah. I think one of the things too, Steve, that sticks out to me is, um, when I think about just a, really like the seven years that you and I were able to, to be in the trenches together is your passion is extremely contagious. You're, you always bring, um, enthusiasm and fun to the room. Um, I will forever know you um, when it comes to Home Smart, you and Stacks with the skit that you did. Uh, by the way, Hans <laughs> and Franz, right? Yep, yep. And then I think, yep. you know, everyone knows you with being people centric and then ultimately your tagline with boom. So I'm just curious, like, where did you learn people centricity? What does that even mean to you? And why is people centricity so anemic in retail brands today? Yeah, so people people centricity and the value of people is rooted in uh, different ways for different people. For some, it could be a story about how a volunteer organization, you know, helped helped your family when you were a kid, and you always remembered that. So you you kind of grew up with this sort of servant leadership mentality. For me, being people centric is is rooted in faith, and it's it's a belief that um, you know if if I don't love people. Um, then how can I expect, you know, that that reciprocating type of treatment or blessing, you know, so um, that's that's how it's rooted for me. Um, so I think it's really different for everybody, uh, but that's what I bring to the table. And and it's my desire to be as authentic as possible. Right. Um, I don't want to fake it. Uh, I want it to be real. I want people to feel the enthusiasm. Um, and I, I think if 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 your love for people is rooted in something authentic, then people will feel that. They'll believe that. They'll trust that. And uh, they won't just feel like ultimately you're just trying to get to some end game or some other type of result, you know? Yeah, I think that's so well said. If you think about it, it was really interesting this morning. I was listening to a Simon Sinek podcast where he was talking about um, building authentic trust as a leader. And it was really around one, just very back to just staying to your core roots and what you truly believe. But the second thing is, is you actually, you, what you say you do, you absolutely do. Right. And I think about 
the trying times that leadership, just in general, all leaders are facing right now, is we build this employer brand of choice around, hey, we're going to authentically support you. You know, we're a diverse organization. We want to elevate everyone. We want to reinvest in all of our people. Um, we want to promote within. We want to bring, you know, healthy balance to your life, right? Like we set these like brand promises of who we are as a brand when you think about us as an employer. But yet it's, off, it's often the frontline employees who are sacrificed first, right? They stop investing in them when it comes to training and upskilling. Um, benefits or bonuses and commission oftentimes get rebuilt, retooled every year, and it makes it harder for, for a frontline person to attain that or they become cuts, right? We we want to yeah. deliver to the street, and instead of delivering to the street, hey, we're not going to get our dividend this quarter uh, because it's it's important. And so I'm I'm curious in your mind, like you've you've risen to the tops of retail leadership, right? Vice president of operations for 200 plus. Uh, you've been in those tough conversations. You've been in those war rooms with the entire C-suite. Why is it hard for leaders to say true and authentic in times of and in, in hard times and challenges like we're seeing today? Yeah, to, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so two things come to my mind, actually. Num number one is you mentioned Simon Sinek. They're not playing the infinite game. They're they're thinking quarter to quarter. They're thinking month to month. They're living um, kind of. Um, street announcement to street announcement, earnings call to earnings call, bonus to bonus. That's the life cycle that they live in as an executive. And that comes out in the decisions that they make and the way that they lead, not necessarily in the things they say, because if you, you've heard me say before, people don't uh, prove their beliefs by what they tell you. They prove their beliefs by their actions, right? So that's the first thing. I think it's they get uh, individuals get too short sighted and they get caught up in that short life cycle of, of business. And then the second thing is at the end of the day, it's not who they are, who they are in general for however they were raised, whatever their belief system is, whatever their life experiences are, are not rooted in people centricity, loving and appreciating and valuing people. Perhaps that's because they always had the answer and they kind of, they feel like maybe they rose to some type of prominence because of how great they are or how smart they are. And they don't need people like, I don't have all the answers to, you know, to there, but I think those are probably the two primary drivers at the end of the day, being sh short-sighted. And then it just isn't in their DNA to love people. Yeah. Let's, let's stick on retail for a minute. I know we have, I want to talk about your, you know, the risk that you took, right. Of, of leaving retail that you've been mostly spent most of your career in and, and you left and went to CDF, which is the role that you have now. So we'll get to B2B in just a second and the risk that you took. But when you think about, um, really your relationship, right? We all have our own relationship when it comes to truly understanding what customer experience is and what it means to me in my specific role. And in your case, right, you went from, I'm a frontline salesperson. So that, so customer experience meant something to you in that role, mm -hmm. all the way to, hey, customer experience means something different to me, leading 200 plus stores. And how do I get all of those team members rallied around it. Can you talk about that journey just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So it 
it all begins with belief. If, if you can't create belief in your team members, you can't create action. So, um, you know, when I had that large group of stores, regardless of what division it was or what area of the country it was, it was constantly connecting the dots between customer success and customer experience and team member success and business success. You can't put business success before team member success or before customer success. You know, there, there, there's a way that this all flows, right? So it's, it's constantly evangelizing the belief of why it's important to, to drive customer experience. What are the specific actions and insights that we need to be leveraging to understand how our customers feel when they do business with us and then tie that back to the WIFM, right? What's in it for the team member? And there is always, you know, um, a pot of gold at the end of the customer experience rainbow. It may take you time to get there, but if you think long-term, if you play the infinite game, um, and you can't get frustrated, Zach. I mean, when you're talking about scaling, when you're talking about, you know, over a thousand team members, and, and there's some people listening who probably have tens of thousands of team members, you are going to get resistance. But just know if you stay focused on what's right and you continue to evangelize the belief that customer success and team member success drives business success, then you can make it through some of those tough times where you do run into resistance. But you gotta start with belief, man, and stay there. Yeah, that's so well said. I, I think the biggest kind of one, I love everything about action. And then the other piece of it is connecting the dots on what's in it for me. Right. And that's something that that you and I went on a journey with together when it was, hey, we wanted to get our frontline team to truly understand why it was so important for them to deliver a great experience across the entire journey with the Aaron's customer. And I don't know if you remember this, but we whiteboarded out in your office the WIFM for every single person, whether it was the frontline salesperson, whether it was the delivery technician or even the store manager, because it was so important for us to connect the dots on how does it improve the team member life? How do we increase their pay? How do they drive the, the performance metrics, right? So let's just be honest, like operations, there's gonna be performance metrics. Sure. How do we help them get promoted, all those things? So I'd love to hear from your, your point of view, and even just for the practitioners, the experienced practitioners who are just struggling to get operational buy-in, what are some of those like WIFMs that you always connected the dots back to? So the first thing is enjoying your work when you come to you do your job every single day. If you're operating in an environment that is consistently hostile or uh, confrontational, lots of customer complaints, if you feel like you know, you're constantly engaging in this us versus them mentality, then simply by changing the prism of how you're viewing the relationship with your team members and your customer um, will create opportunities for you to see very specific actions that you can take to start removing those friction points from the relationship. And if nothing else, let's just say sales don't get better. Let's just say revenue doesn't increase and profit doesn't get better. Let's just say your customer retention doesn't get better. At the end of the day, you are a happier person when you come to work. So you can always connect the dot right back to that in the absence 
of KPIs, and you and I both know that that's never the case. You are creating an environment where the relationship and people enjoying shopping there, working there matters. That's the type of environment that we all want to be a part of, man. That alone uh, should create some believers and generate some action. Yeah. Can I get a boom on that one? Yep. <laughs> boom. <laughs> I, I, I want to stay on this for a second, right? Because I think one of the constant struggles that a an everyday customer experience leader and practitioner face is how do we get away from always looking at what's our NPS or what's our CSAT or OSAT, whatever the metric is that we want to look at, and how do we really create cultures? And you've been in those meetings with the C-suite. You had, you know, on time, seven to 10 different colleagues who had, you know, vice president of operations that had you know 150 to 200 stores, and you've been in the trenches where we had operators ask us, "Hey, can you just remove this score? Because I don't think that's what the customer meant, right?" To Absolutely. you saw um, really bad practices of gamification around score begging, and we also witnessed you know some people saying, "Hey, we'll give you $25 off your next payment if you just give me a 10," all just to hit a score. Why do you think operational leaders and just company leaders get so fixated on the score? So first I would say, um, what, whatever you try to do inside an organization, and when, when we first took this, started this journey several, several years ago with customer experience, customer success, not only measuring how we're doing, but really trying to understand what do we need to do differently as a business to get, to get better. Whatever you try to do inside an organization, it will always ultimately take on the spirit of whatever that organization's culture is. So if you're trying to build something that is customer led, customer driven in an organization that is that is selfish, that is that only worries about rankers and KPIs, ultimately, even something that has the very best intentions is going to go wrong because it's surrounded by a culture that isn't aligned to people. So, you know, like think about a culture of innovation for a second, right, Zach? If you if 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 your industry or your organization had a, a deep culture of innovation, then when you introduce a new project, you're constantly gonna have people looking to, hey, what can we do to make it better? How do we iterate on this? If you're if your organization has a culture of service or servant leadership, then when you roll out a new program, you're gonna have people raising their hand and saying, hey, I'd love to volunteer to test this. What can I do to support the team? But when you're in a culture that is consumed with, with KPIs and rankers, and then you roll out a project like this or a program like this, people, are their first thought is, what can I do to make the score look good? What can I do to take this program and make myself look good on a, on a stack ranker? Because eventually that program will devolve into whatever the culture of the organization is. So it has to start with the culture before it starts with the program. Damn. Uh, so let's talk about the culture, right? Why are, yeah. brands, why are brands so challenged with creating cultures of taking action, right? And actions yeah. can be positive actions, right? Like we got positive feedback from the customer or we got positive feedback from the employee. And how do we just continue to foster positive actions? Or we got negative feedback from a customer or employee. And now we need to resolve that issue and recover the relationship. Why do you think 
retailers are so challenged with creating those cultures that we all essentially aspire to become? So I think you have to start at the top. And uh, my experience has been, what I've seen is, uh, and clearly I'm not speaking for every organization, but my experience has been when you hire high level executives, uh, those decisions are being made by people whose whose primary responsibility is a shareholder or a majority owner. So they're only viewing their decision through the ROI, the financial investment, you know, that that type of thing. And eventually, that type of decision making continues to permeate throughout the organization. So I think, you know, I think in one of the, the, the posts I was, you know, I even called on board members, you know, to think differently uh, about things. But it really starts in the in, in the boardroom, Zach, and board board members have to take ownership for the CEOs, the COOs, the CMOs, the CTOs that they're bringing to their organization and the belief that people matter has to start in the in the boardroom and they have to be willing at times to sacrifice some short-term games if they want to win the long-term game. Yeah, that's so well said. I'll never forget, you know, like Steve Jobs is by far, you know, one of those leaders that I connect with, right? And I'll never forget watching the Jobs movie where, you know, the 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 Mac that they that they that he challenged the team to put out, it was ready to go. They were ahead of timeline, and IBM had already put out their their computer, and they were all congratulating. And he asked the question, you know, can we add this feature in there? And everyone was like, I mean, we could, but it's going to delay the launch. And he's like. Yes, but will it deliver a better user experience for the customer? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, absolutely, it will. And he said, okay, we're going to delay the launch and we're going to do this. And we all know the story of Steve Jobs, right? He was outed from his own company, brought back, and then built Apple into what it is today, right? And so I think that I share that story because it goes back to what you were just sharing around the board. Too many boards are so focused now on, hey, are we paying out a dividend every single quarter? What is the sheer PL number? And don't get me wrong, every company has to be in business to drive top line and bottom line. Yep. But how many companies have the courage to delay a launch by two weeks to create a better user experience that will ultimately drive a higher customer or user adoption? It will drive more, a higher same store sales revenue, it'll drive user retention, those types of things. And I think it comes down to the CX practitioner to help connect those dots. And Steve, I know you've seen it, I've seen it. That is a foundational skill that I think many people in business don't have today. And so I'm curious, you've learned how to connect the dots between what our customers and employees are saying to the PL. Can you kind of share how you got started with learning how to connect the dots? Sure. So I have to admit, you know, which, you know, starting a multi-unit leadership, the, the very first thing I gravitated towards was what are the things that are that are wrong and how do I fix those things? Okay. And, you know, for that first probably year or so as a new multi-unit leader, it, it, you, you, you get burned out. So you're traveling all the time. You're running from fire to fire. You leave a store or you leave a meeting or you leave, you know, a, a group and you feel like 
you were impactful. You fixed something that was wrong, and then it keeps breaking, keeps breaking, keeps breaking, right? So you're stuck in this constant loop. And so so my answer to that question is you you have to learn how to break that cycle. And sometimes the only way you can learn is by making mistakes, and that's and that's okay, right? I believe in uh, uh, you know fail safe space. So um, the way you connect the dots is. Sometimes you got to make mistakes. You try to fix things yourself, but ultimately when you kind of zoom out a little bit and you focus on the people, you focus on the customer, all the things that you ultimately were trying to fix yourself, they end up fixing and that translates to the P&L. So let's just say it's merchandising standard, for example, right? So store isn't staying clean, you know, um, in, inventory's not, not, not priced properly. And every time you come to the store as a multi-unit leader, you take two or three hours and you're doing it yourself and then you walk away and the store looks amazing. Well, then the next time you come back, it's a train wreck again, okay? If you wanna fix those types of things permanently and achieve the answer on the P&L that you really want, you have to create the belief in the people of why it's important to have your showroom looking great. Talk about the processes that you need to have in place for a showroom checklist. What time of the day should that be done? And empower your people to make the decisions to execute on that program and then align on what accountability looks like. So we already gravitate towards things that are wrong in our business and things that we can fix on the P&L. And then we try and fix them. But the difference here is what makes that fix sustainable is doing it through great people and focusing on customer experience. Yeah, I'll never forget, and then we'll we'll transition, but I'll never forget one of the multi-unit leader meetings that you know I was fortunate enough to to attend of yours is kind of really on the same concept, right? Where you were getting kind of fed up with your multi-unit leaders always being firefighters um, and never teaching. And we spent several hours around how do we plan for impactful store visits? So it's not just about what are the metrics, but it was really around what's the why behind this? And you and I spent a lot of time teaching the multi-unit leaders on how to go in and look at customer feedback to help be a guiding, like a, a the North Star, the guiding point on, hey, look, your sales are down, or your customers are telling you that your sales team's not very attentive, or you don't, there's a lack of sales on there, or your stores are messy, they can't find what they're looking for, the merchandising is just not there. And so they give you like a really good insight into why is this happening? I'm curious in your mind, when was that light bulb for you on, if I just go look at the why behind the what, we can be more impactful. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, I was driving home from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I called um, a, a regional manager friend of mine, and I was just talking through the issues I was having and how frustrated I was. And, and he said, if you can't learn to fix problems through people, you'll never be able to fix problems. You know, that's, you know, what he, what he said essentially. And uh, now when I look back and I reflect, what I see was I see processes that were well-intentioned, but they were created to firefight. Just think about it. So when, when a customer calls in a complaint or they email to complain, that's given top priority. The general manager or somebody has to call. The multi-unit leader has to call if it's not resolved in a, in, you know, right away. So there's a lot of time and energy spent resolving the customer's problem. 
The issue is there was never any follow-up feedback processes in place to identify root causes that that created the problem to begin with. So you're you created a system, not you specifically, but we created a system that is perpetually putting out fires, right? Where, you know, I'll, I'll say this live right here. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I have told people, let the store burn. And I don't mean literally, right? But sometimes you just have to let it burn because if you spend all your time focusing on a fire, then you lose out on the 10 other coaching opportunities that you could have gotten involved in to prevent those issues from happening in, in the beginning. If the customer relationship breaks and a complaint happens, you've already messed up. There's, there's nothing you can do to go back and do that over again. But what you can do is you can own the solution to make sure that it never happens to another customer again. That's what makes uh, customer actions and insights so powerful is leveraging what customers are telling you to prevent it from happening to anyone else in the future. Yeah, it, Steve, that was such a great example of companies believe that NPS is a score. Yeah. NPS is not a score. NPS is a system. What you were describing was, and we had it built, our inner loop was on point, right? Customer makes a complaint, we call and follow it up. But where we were challenged as an organization, even culturally, was what does that outer loop look like? How yeah. do we how do we build cross-functional relationships to really understand here are all the frictions that we have in the customer journey? How do we reduce these frictions to where we're not causing interloop chaos? And too many brands have interloop chaos that they will never get out of because their organization doesn't have the culture to look at the outer loop. And sometimes we don't want to know what the outcomes are, Zach. You know, to, you know, think two reasons. Number one, nobody likes their their baby being called ugly. So sometimes we just want to be deaf to how our customers really feel about us because we don't want to get exposed for some of the issues that, that we really have. And then the second piece is once you know, you are accountable for taking action. You know, that's what that's what we do as leaders. And if and uh, we can't just be in an environment where we talk about doing the right thing and then we don't do it. So when you have a system like that that exposes opportunities, you're obligated to fix them at that point. Yeah. Last question when we think about retail operations, right? You've you've held every role in retail. Um, when you think about the customer experience leader today, as a VP of operations for 200 plus stores, how do you, how did you need your customer experience leader within the organization um, to partner with you? Like, what are some of those tips that you can give all the experienced practitioners listening on the phone or listening to the podcast right now? Like. Give them some some like pointers like this is how I wanted my experience leader to show up and to help support me. And this is the gold that happened from it. Yeah, ab absolutely. That's a great question. So I view the human resource representative, the HRBP, the HR manager as one of my most powerful allies in, in any type of leadership situation because that individual is constantly feeding me information about how my team members feel, how they're being treated at work, what we can do to be better. It's uh, it's constant insights and it, they have the pulse of the team members. It helps me understand 
what type of tone should I take in a meeting? What are the things that I need to address when I'm communicating uh, on, on a conference call or something like that, right? I would equivocate uh, that same level of allyship to your customer experience leader because that is your customer advocate. You have to have that human resource partner that 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 has a, a, a stake in the game, and you have to have that that uh, that customer experience uh, individual who's feeding you the same level of information, giving you the same uh, insights, but is also empowered to hold you accountable as a leader for doing the right things with the information and uh, and the actions that that they recommend that they recommend. So, I would encourage anyone listening that that you are a practitioner of customer success or customer experience, that number one, you believe in your value, okay? Regardless of what your organization may tell you or how you may feel, you have to believe at your core that your role in that organization matters as much as team member success matters. And you have to insert yourself as respectfully as you can into as many meetings, conversations, decision-making uh, processes, because you may be the only person who's really thinking about how will this impact the customer? You have the insights, you have the analytics, you have the data, you've talked to the customers, you know how they feel about current processes, and you're the only one who can provide that filter of how will this new process impact our customers, right? So you have to take ownership. I would be bold and brave and passionate about that. And if you're working for the right leader, they will respect that and they'll give you access uh, to them as, as they move the business forward. Dude, I couldn't say that any better. Like that was so insightful and pure from an operator saying, CX practitioners, we need you to step up. Like step up, interject yourself. I, I wanna pivot now, right? Because I'll be honest, when I learned on LinkedIn that you were leaving the Aaron's organization and you're going to B2B, I didn't believe it for a second because to your point, you were very emotionally tied to Aaron's because they gave you a new lease on life, right? You were a customer of theirs. And so I yeah. thought for sure you were a lifer. And now you decided to take a risk and move to the B2B world. You moved on to CDF, incredible organization. Tell us what that decision-making process was like. So that was the longest hardest decision I've ever made in my entire life. It was a process that, that took, um, I'd made the decision probably about two years ago that I knew the direction ultimately I would probably go. And, um, so it took really two years to, you know, to, to find the right fit for me that made sense. But at the same time, um, I was making sure that, that Aaron's was protected. I refused to leave that organization behind without a successor, um, someone that was ready to take my position, somebody that was ready to take their position, and then someone that was ready to take their position behind them. So three levels of secession planning. And uh, I also refused to leave the business um, underperforming. I wanted to make sure that when I left, no one could ever say, hey, he left because they weren't performing well. So we left at the absolute top um, of, of the game from a comparison standpoint. And, um, that just mirrored, um, all of the people metrics as, as well. But, you know, just to be completely transparent, it felt like, um, and, and I've been through this so I can compare, it felt like 
uh, a divorce. It was emotional. It was um, tears were shed. You know, it's it's you you just don't think it's ever gonna ever gonna happen. Um, so you, you have a tendency to keep yourself in a position like that because you so you are so emotionally connected that could cause you to actually make um, a, a bad decision. But I had to step back. Um, I had done everything that I could possibly do for the organization. There was nothing else I could influence. I didn't feel like I could increase span of control anymore. I had hit my ceiling and I wasn't okay with that. And I wanted to find a place where I could continue to evolve and grow and um, scale and, and give back to people. And ultimately that's why I had to make that, make that decision. But um, it was painful, man. I mean, even talking about it now, just thinking about it, um, because it's so rooted in, in who I am starting with that organization. Um, it's, it, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. So, so I, I, and I can feel it by the way. I, so I'm curious, right? Like CDF, why CDF? Like, what was it about CDF where you're like, okay, if I'm going to go through this challenge and this painful divorce and it's going to be emotional why was cdf that company that you were willing to go through all that for yeah so first you know i'll, I'll bring it back you know to my faith so there was a, a lot of prayer and uh, i had to feel good about this internally I, I needed peace and i felt that peace but also I was looking for core values and I, I wasn't just looking for an owner or a CEO who would tell me the things that I wanted to hear, but I wanted to see it for myself. I talked to team members, I toured the facility, I, uh, I interviewed probably four different times uh, with a multitude of people and it wasn't just, hey, let's come in the office and sit down and chat. We went, we had dinners, we went to Top Golf. Um, you know, we communicated on the phone. So I was trying to get as many data points as I possibly could to reinforce, all right, their core values seem great, their core purpose seems great, but is this the real deal? Is this a place that is gonna invite me in and allow me to lead the way I believe in leading people and not create obstacles for me? And that's what aligned me to CDF. Trust me, I never would have thought in a million years I would go from retail to like manufacturing and distribution, you know, uh, an industry I've never I've never been a part of. But the core values aligned, the way they treat their customers and their people aligned, and that's why I made the decision. Yeah, that's uh, dude. I, I love that. I love how you really took that internal look as a person, as a leader. What are my core values, and can I find an organization where they align? I, I'm curious in your mind, right? You and I have worked a lot together. Um, CDF doors. Uh, manufacturing, distribution. And when you and I started working together again, you had a flat out just customer experience mission that we typically don't see in manufacturing and distribution. So one, I'd love just to hear what is the mission when you think about customer experience um, from a CDF perspective and why does it matter in your industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say our, our mission is we believe our strategy, our investments, and our decisions must be customer-led, period. Um, we have to give back to our customers. And that's, you know, that's our, uh, you know, externally uh, facing. Uh, internally, my customer is my team member. So that same level of passion, you know, uh, externally towards customers, 
um, you know, CDF has that core value of internally, um, you know, being team member led in how we treat uh, our, our people. So, and the reason why I think it matters is, it, you know, for this industry is my my gut. What have I what I've experienced in these last several months, and even just some uh, off the cuff interactions with um, either contractors or, or folks who may be in the industry just over the years is that. There just seems to be a general prioritization of budget. We have to get the job done as cheap as we can get it done and timelines. We have to hit the project timeline, you know, um, at any expense. And if either of those two things are threatened, um, then it turns into a confrontational uh, situation. And that's just kind of the industry norm. So I thought to myself, I know a guy that is an innovator, pushes the envelope, and would love to be able to, you know, partner with me in an industry that seems like it really needs to be customer-led, and um, and then what better opportunity than the company I'm working for to really start innovating on that front and just changing the way we view customer service. It's not just about hitting a price point and getting the project done on the timeline. It's about how did we make you feel when you interacted with us, and if you didn't feel the, you know, the right way about it. What can I do better? And then actually change and be better. Yeah, that's so well said, because if you think about it, right, right. even the contractors, uh, they have experiences with different brands every single day, right? You think about it, I'm sure that they've ordered something from Amazon and they continue to order from Amazon because it's convenient, it's easy, and I can trust that I'll typically get my package 99.9% .9 of the time within two days, right? Like I know it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And so those interactions that we have with different companies essentially set the standard for the experiences that we expect in our professional lives. And that's one of the things that I love about the CDF mission to be customer led because contractors, they deserve more than just let's hit price and let's hit timeline. They deserve to have value brought to them every single day. And so when you think about disrupting the industry, what are some of the major just challenges that the industry faces that you're like, if I'm known for anything in this space, CDF is gonna be known for this? Yeah. That's, that's a really good question. I'll just say to anybody who's listening, who's in our industry, you're, you're feeling the downturn probably. You see the reports that come out, new commercial construction down 14%, new residential construction down you know, a certain percent. So all you're hearing is bad news. And you're probably thinking in the exact same time frame that we're getting all these reports of construction's down, this is down, that's down. Why in the world would CDF be starting a new program, investing all this money that initially, you know, wasn't in the budget at the beginning of the year when everyone else is kind of in this, hey, like hyper cost saving mode? And I think it's, you know, from my belief, it's there's no better time to wow a customer than when they don't expect it. And this is a time where people don't expect it. This is a time where we can be differentiators in the industry when everyone else is, is scaling back and cutting back and, and, and everything, you know, rightfully so, because business is tough. This is where I want to accelerate and prove that 
on the other side of this, when CDF comes out on the other side of this, we will be a lean, mean, customer-led machine um, that is that is growing with our customers' wants and needs, and we'll be prepared to meet those needs on the other side of this economic downturn. Yeah, so true, Steve. I mean, customer experience, employee experience are always one of the first initiatives that get cut and and cost-saving mode. And I love how it is we're going to stay true to our foundational core and deliver the best experience that we can for both our customers and employees. Last but not least, I'm just curious, what's the greatest lesson learned so far in your career? Um, oh, man, that's another good question. I would say the greatest lesson learned is being people-centric and truly loving people helps you win the most unwinnable games or unwinnable situations. There's nothing more powerful as a leader than knowing that when you're up against the odds, when you shouldn't be successful, when the economy is struggling, when when sales are down, when revenue is down, when write-offs are, you know, when things are up, when you have a group of people that are willing to take the hill, rally around you, stay positive, focus on the customer. Um, that's how you win the unwinnable game, man. And it, it starts and ends with people. That's what I've learned. Yeah, that's so, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I mean, I think we all face the unwinnable game um, throughout our entire career. Steve, it's been so awesome just to talking through, you know, operations now to CDF and the risk that you've taken and, and why the company's doubling down um, I know that we'll have you back on in a couple months to really talk about some of these initial wins that CDF continues to build by being customer-led. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the Action This podcast and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing those wins in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks, Zach. Great talking to you as always. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for tuning in. For more on consumer insights and experience the Chatter Effect, visit chatterresearch.com.